Well, that's because they're dealing with the psychological trauma of being raped by a transvestite alien. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sure. Brad was a pretty proudly heterosexual guy, and all of a sudden he's just, you know, in his own mindset, come around to the dark side, and now we're five or six years later of feeling emasculated and uh, living with the only other person on earth that knows his secret. He does feel like less of a man, so he acts like less of a man. There was a podcast called The Sequel Cast that talked about movies. Movies. And they also talked about something else called boobies. Boobies. It's The Sequel Cast. Oh yeah, The Sequel Cast. It's The Sequel Cast. www.sequelcast.com Hello and welcome to the Sequel Cast. The Sequel Cast is a show where we talk about movies in a franchise one movie at a time. We're uh, wrapping up our look at the uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show duology with the second film in the series, a film a lot of people don't even know exists, called Shock Treatment, uh, directed by Jim Sharman, written by Jim Sharman, Richard O'Brien, with the music by Richard O'Brien and Richard Hartley, starring Jessica Harper, Cliff Dion, Richard O'Brien, Patricia Quinn, Little Nell, and Charles Gray. So, uh, we got a website at SequelCast.com where you can check out past episodes on movie franchises we've covered, such as Die Hard and Planet of the Apes and Caddyshack. And uh, we have a blog over at SequelCast.blogspot.com. And um, you can find us on iTunes. And another way you can listen to us is uh, with another one of our uh, new sponsors. You can hear, yeah, yeah, you can hear SequelCast on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, BlackBerry, or Palm Pilot phone. Uh, on demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. So uh, that's another way you can listen to, it, to us is through the Stitcher app along with lots of other great podcasts that are on there. So uh, with me is Thrasher. Hello, everybody. Hello, viewers. And uh, Georgia, Jason? I'm going to go by Jersey Jason because I'm in Jersey right now. Okay. Uh, Jersey Jason, uh, though I do love Denton. Denton, Denton, it's a... Denton, Denton. Okay, I didn't look at the lyrics. <laughs> I didn't look at the lyrics when I did that. No, um, I've got that whole song memorized. Don't get me started, or I will sing through this whole episode. Well, it, do it, bitching in the kitchen. I know he knows bitching in the kitchen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, speaking, I know little black dress, and I know uh, look what I did to my head. Speaking of uh, singing songs, you know that's a good segue. We have a special guest this episode that we're going to call and add on. Mark with the C. He's uh, does a lot of. Um, he has a lot of albums of sort of like nerdy pop songs that are pretty funny, and he recorded a whole cover album of uh, all the songs from Shock Treatment, uh, done with him doing vocals and him playing acoustic guitar. Micro digital awaker. Why are we always sooner or later? 
bitching in the kitchen or crying in the bedroom all night. That sounds fantastic. Uh, his website is markwithac.com. And let me add him on. Hello. Hello, is Mark there? This is Mark. Can you hear me? Yes, can you hear me? I can hear you just great. Oh, great. This is Matt with the sequel cast. With me and we're my, here, too. With me are my co-host, uh, Thrasher <laughs> and Jason. Goody, goody, <laughs> uh, thanks for coming on the show, Mark. Oh, thank you. Are we already rolling? Are we recording? We are. Yeah. Oh, well, hello. Hello. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know we were just going to jump right into it. I thought there'd be some pleasantries and whatnot. That's our style, oh, no man. <laughs> no pleasantries on the sequel cast. Uh so, aside from having a lot of uh, music for sale on your website, markwithac.com, you've also started a uh, podcast based on your uh, radio show called The Real Congregation. Uh-huh. Yeah, The Real Congregation ran for about two years on a local uh, college radio station named WPRK, and it's still my favorite station in the world. But uh, due to the exclusive nature of the show, that being sort of buy-in for record geeks, it aired at like 3 a.m. on a Tuesday, and it, it, those hours were just killing me. So um, we moved it over to Nerdy Show. I love what they do with their family of podcasts. They're friends of mine anyways, uh, and it's worked out really well in just the first few episodes. I couldn't be happier about it. And how do you describe the show? It's sort of by and for record geeks, but uh, it's the tagline I use on the show is the best in music you haven't heard before, haven't heard in quite some time, and in many cases, you'll never want to hear it again. Yeah, in a recent episode of your show I just listened to, you had a song on there called Jogging for Jesus. Ah, yeah, Leslie Harris and the House of Fire, man. There are some fascinating uh, religious records in my collection, and that is, uh, unfortunately, I don't actually have the original copy of it, and despite the sort of disco meets word records feel to to that track, the rest of the album, kind of your standard run-of-the-mill early 80s gospel, doesn't really live up to jogging for Jesus, but, you know, what does? And uh, we want to mention on here, uh, the reason why I thought of you as a guest for the show is you recorded a bunch of covers of music from Shock Treatment. When was it that you started doing that? Uh, that has a long... <laughs> that has a long uh, story. How long do we have? Um, Plenty of time. Sure, you can give the short version, I guess. All right, I'll, I'll try to dial it back as much as I can. Uh, the Shock Treatment covers were actually, believe it or not, the first thing I started working on under the name Mark with a C in, like, 1999. Hmm. But uh, I think I just recorded some real quick, I mean, lower-than-lo-fi covers that I don't think any of those made it to the ones that are out now. But um, I talked about it for years in stage shows, and I was playing the songs live, and finally someone pinned me down and says, all right, you've been talking about this for four years, either put up or shut up. So in 2003, I released what uh, I already had done, which I think was six or seven tracks. And then in the uh, following years, I would add like one song each year, and you can hear the production get better and better as those songs show up. Like, um, Thank God I'm a Man is vastly more produced than uh, Denton USA, which was the first thing I recorded for it. And as for why... Well, I, I love Shock Treatment. I love the songs, and I think that, uh, you know, that there's a lot going on in the soundtrack that really sums up the best of the last 
25 years of popular music, which is deceptively happy music to the most depressing lyrics possible. And I thought, well, if you, could just, if you could just strip that all away and just sound like a desperate guy in his bedroom, I think this might affect people on a slightly different level. And uh, there are some things I regret about it. For example, I did not ever print out a lyric sheet. I tried to just do it from memory. And for this reason, I fuck up so many lyrics. Uh, <laughs> But um, at the same time, it definitely sounds sort of like a, the brooding artist in his bedroom contemplating a divorce, which is what I intended it to do. Well, see, now that's interesting because I've heard, I've heard Richard O'Brien play some of these songs as well as the songs from Rocky Horror just acoustically. And it's so much different also because it's his voice. And I, 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 need, to listen to, I need to listen to your versions. Where can I find them again? Um, you, the best place to find them would be markwithac.bandcamp.com. You can stream, I, I think, all 11 that I've done. And I haven't released any new shock treatment covers in about four years. I haven't worked on it at all. And uh, there's actually one tune I tried to record that I hadn't got around to, which was Me of Me. But it sounded really disingenuine, and I sound just like I'm faking it when I sing in French. So it just never got done. <laughs> and Me of Me is one of my least favorite. I'm sorry to say this, but it's one of my least favorite songs from from Shock Treatment. Oh, yeah, there's definitely bad points about Shock Treatment. You're not going to lose any points with me if you badmouth parts you don't like, man. <laughs> well, I love Little Black Dress. That's one of my oh. favorite songs. Yeah, Little Black Dress is fantastic. Unfortunately, it was one of the the tracks when I was covering the, the soundtrack that didn't really work once you shifted it into a singular voice. And, uh, for example, when I did Dual Duet and it comes from just one guy, it puts a whole different inner monologue perspective on the song. Little Black Dress just seems like someone who's really into cross-dressing and caviar. <laughs> like Richard O'Brien. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's totally working for him, man. Uh. Well, why don't we uh, dial it back, and why don't we talk about the first time uh, we ever saw Shock Treatment. For me, I rented this movie in high school. There was a Hollywood video that had it on a videotape, and I went to all the different video stores, and that was the one that had it. And I popped it in, and I think like a lot of people, I was expecting, oh, a sequel to Rocky Horror Picture Show. It's going to be a lot of the same actors, and oh, they'll go back to the castle again, and oh, this will be great. And if, if you walk into Shock Treatment expecting that, you'll be uh, disappointed, I think. You know, it, it's a lot more of a complicated film, both as the plot goes and musically, than Rocky Horror Picture Show. And, yeah, and um, some of the ideas and such, it's, it's a weird, there are a lot of uh, creative choices that, and also budgetary choices that don't give it the, uh, the, the classic story type that was in um, uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. I think it's a movie I've definitely appreciated more as I've gotten older and as I've rewatched it and sort of paid more attention to the music. Um, well, see, throughout- I was forced to watch this Adrian and Norman, um, the first, the person who um, was uh, really my intro into Rocky Horror Shadow Casting. She showed me that there was a sequel which I had never heard of, and at the time I saw it, I really hated it. And then just this past year, we did a convention for Rocky Horror. Um, and we had to do a shadow cast of uh, shock treatment. Um, I played Bert, and I fell in love with all the songs, like as if I was hearing it for the first time. I totally, I don't know why I hated it before, but I really, I've really enjoyed it this past um, four months. 
Uh, Thrasher, when did you first see uh, Shock Treatment? Well, like the, the first time I saw it, I think it was in like 1999. Uh, I, I'm a night owl, and I loved I, I I love finding weird things on cable in the middle of the night when I can't sleep. And I was flipping through channels late on like a Friday or Saturday night. Uh, I was like at one in the morning, and I, I passed the Sci-Fi Channel. The Sci-Fi Channel was showing. And I saw Richard O'Brien and Nell in their in their uh, their scrubs. I was like, "Oh, well, this looks bizarre." Uh, but I think I was already watching a trauma movie and was just jumping around channels between the breaks. And I saw on the channel guides like "Shock Treatment," the little known sequel to the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And at the time, I really just wasn't into the Rocky Horror Picture Show, so I let it pass me by. I didn't see the full movie, and I think until I think two thousand one or two thousand two. Uh, I was visiting Virginia from college and had just gotten over a terrible breakup. And my friend Beth, who'd been doing Rocky Horror for ages, said, Oh, you got to see this movie. You'll like this movie. And showed me, uh, at the time, this shock treatment just wasn't available. She played for me a bootleg of shock treatment she had found at a convention. And I was blown away. I, I love, love, love this movie. I I. I like this movie more uh, than the Rocky Horror Picture Show for reasons I'll go into later. I think it is a much better movie. But ever since that moment, I was just in love. And I was, like, so thrilled when it finally came out on DVD. And I was really perplexed when I started getting into Rocky Horror and shadow casting that I was the only person involved who liked shock treatment. Everybody else was just violently opposed to it. Did uh, you like Shock Treatment when you first uh, watched it, Mark? No. Hated it with a passion. I think I saw it a couple of weeks after Rocky first made it to VHS. And at the time, I was like, you know, 13. There was no way my parents were going to take me to see that in the theater. So I had to do all my research just in my living room and uh, hitting up the video store. And, of course, I expected a lot more transvestites, a lot more drugs, a lot more sex. And, well, there are some drugs in it, and... There's some implied incest, but that's about where the similarities to the first movie end. But uh, some things that Thrasher brought up that I wanted to mention. When I watched it the first time, dead center of the day. When I finally came back around to it and watched it maybe ten years later, it was in the middle of the night. And something about the film, when there's nothing else going on and you sort of feel like the last man on earth... It works in its favor, especially right after a breakup, and I definitely know the feeling <laughs> of feeling like the only Rocky fan you know that likes shock treatment. And I, I think that that has a lot to do with why the people that love it so much love it so passionately. Right. You know, I think the movie, um, a lot of people go into it with... Uh, expectations from the original film and had this been the exact same movie but just not featured the Brad Majors and Janet uh, Weiss uh, characters, I think people would give it a lot more of a fair shake. Uh, although I do like, even the, even though you couldn't get the same actors in this film, I think Cliff Dion as Brad Majors and especially Jessica Harper as Janet do a very, very good job. I, I think Jessica they're fantastic. Uh, yeah, uh, you, uh, you of course have heard of Phantom of the Paradise, correct? Oh, of course, of course. Yeah, just the music in that and her voice. Uh, but again, me of me. Uh, uh, but again, her, <laughs> her acting in this, because it goes so strangely, because she comes 
addicted to fame, then she kind of has the fallout and drugs and all that fun stuff. It kind of is... It's interesting to watch, but I just love some of her reactions. Uh, especially when she's talking to... Uh, oh, God. Uh, Drill in the Bits. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, are these your friends? You won't have them for long. Oh, <laughs> wah, wah. If, uh, if I can interject here, uh, there, a lot is made of the initial turnoff that people get when they pop the film in and they see that Brad and Janet are played by different actors. But I think that there's a little bit more subtext going on with it. Obviously, Richard O'Brien, if he'd had his way, certainly would have had Barry Bostwick and Susan Sarandon do the parts. But now when you uh, watch the way that these two actors portray the roles with Cliff Young being much more introverted and quiet and not as protective and janet has sort of taken over that role of being the protector and the guide and the extroverted one uh the not shy one i think that this is more an idea of uh, in it something that was brought up in damn it janet the three ways love can grow good bad or mediocre and in this way they've sort of swapped roles and they truly are different people and the best way to get that across is not only with different direction, but different actors and actresses all together. I wouldn't change a thing about that casting. Again, they're, uh, they're, they're different. I don't like to think of this movie as connected to the other one. I wish they'd used different names. Mm. Wish they'd used what? I wish they'd used different names. Instead not of Brad and Janet? Brad and Janet. Mm. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that a friend of mine said, what if they had actually used the Habshats? Um, if they would used them after their marriage in the first film, use those characters to go on. And just like had a different, um, uh, uh, oh shit, what's it called? Um, a different could have, could have, Yeah, exactly. You could have had Ralph and uh, Nancy as the characters in Shock Treatment, but again, univer- uh, was it Universal? Fox. Oh, Fox was paying them a whole bunch of money. It was paying to have this movie made. Um, it actually had a small, it had a smaller budget, but and oh, and I and I heard that since Sarandon wanted half a million dollars to play Janet again, if they had just done it with different characters, it would have been fine. I don't know. I think I think if it had been about the Habshats, we wouldn't care about them nearly as much because we only see them for a handful of frames in the original Rocky Horror, and then they're out of the picture for good. By making it Brad and Janet, uh, their relationship has much more weight. But at the same time, they're nothing like the Brad and Janet that were there before. I mean, this is well, that's because they're dealing with this the psychological trauma of being raped by a transvestite alien. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Brad was a pretty proudly heterosexual guy, and huh. all of a sudden, he's just you know, in his own mindset, come around to the dark side, and now we're five or six years later of feeling emasculated and uh, living with the only other person on earth that knows his secret. He does feel like less of a man, so he acts like less of a man. I never thought of that aspect of it, but uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. And uh, the state of their marriage is is brilliantly spelled out in, uh, I think, my favorite song from Shock Treatment, Bitchin' in the Kitchen. And like a lot of songs in Shock Treatment, it has a lot of different layers. Not only do you have the lyrics of them talking about um, why do they have to argue all the time and all these things, but there's also the commercials that go on in the background, which comment on the action that's happening. 
and Carlisle. Yeah, all the, all the props of blissful like domestic life are shown and commented on throughout that song. I love it. I think bitching in the kitchen is that the the sort of deal breaker for some people because uh, often you'll hear people say that you know bitching in the kitchen is totally my favorite. It's usually the one that everyone sort of knows the lyrics to if they remember anything from Shock Treatment. But it also those rhymes are a little clumsy. They're <laughs> a little off kilter, and I. To anybody who feels that after listening to Bitch in the, in the Kitchen, I have to ask, if you don't like a healthy dose of cheese, what are you doing looking for a sequel to Rocky Horror? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Also, now that's, that brings up a good point, though, because Rocky Horror was a musical beforehand and was on stage and was quite popular in the West End. With this movie, they didn't have that testing phase. Well, I mean, they had... They had different ideas for what the sequel was supposed to be. Originally, it was going to be called Rocky Horror Shows uh, His Heels and was going to be more of a direct sequel, and then they couldn't get Tim Curry and a lot of the actors, and so they decided... Yeah, they actually have him resurrected. Um, yeah. Adriana says there's a script at a convention. They actually were going to read the script verbatim, uh, like a table read, with everybody doing different characters. And Richard O'Brien actually called the event organizers and threatened to sue. <laughs> oh! And at one point they had a, another uh, sequel uh, in like the late '80s, early '90s in development called "Revenge of the Old Queen" about Frankenfurter's mother uh, coming down and getting revenge on Janet, who was pregnant oh, with Rocky's son. And, that's um, cool. I like that. Yeah, and that never happened either. So because that would have been like that would have been like Friday the Thirteenth. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Um, it's really the mother who's the killer. Actually, there's a song in circulation on the bootleg circuit of uh, one track that surfaced from Revenge of the Old Queen called Moon Drenched Shores of Transylvania. Ooh. It was first played on um, a, a Rocky fan podcast. Uh, pardon me that I don't remember the name. I think it was just Rocky Radio. But uh, I hate to dash your hopes and dreams. This song was... If... um. If the songs from Rocky Horror were cheesy caviar, this song sort of smelled like a goat raised in a fart. <laughs> <laughs> Not my favorite thing in the Rocky universe, but your mileage may vary. Hmm. I'll have to look that up. I think it'd be an interesting listen at any rate. Are, are you saying you're going to tack it on to the end of this episode? <laughs> no, no. Okay. But, um... And speaking of a controversy, the song "Thank God I'm a Man" is a bit controversial, oh, yeah. and I think it's clearly meant to be sarcastic. But I can see if someone's taking it literally. Well, well, it harks back to that old 1950s white picket fence, all-American notion of masculinity. Yeah, the whole movie is about the the whole song is about being a man. It's the the 1950s ideal of what a man is supposed to do what a man is supposed to, his, his requirements at home, the things he's supposed to do for his wife, to his wife, for America, to America, for himself, to himself. Oh, sure, why not? Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, he ends it with faggots or maggots. Um, thank God I'm a man. So the idea is that, yeah, that's, that anything questioning that sexuality, anything questioning the masculinity of an American man, you have to punch in the face. 
Yeah, it certainly wasn't Sweet Transvestite Part 2. No. <laughs> no, this one did not make you feel good about having an alternative lifestyle. Well, you know, that might make a good medley. Start with Thank God I'm a Man and then work it into Sweet Transvestite. <laughs> and then Touch a Touch a Touch Me. That uh, Faggots or Maggots line is the reason why Thank God I'm a Man was one of the last songs that I covered for my shock treatment project. Uh, I just could not live with the idea that maybe someone would hear that song from me for the first time. Mm. You know, they don't know anything about me. That's their first introduction, and here I am saying that anyone with an alternative lifestyle is terrible. I couldn't live with it. I've never played the song live, but... You know, it, it makes more sense in the context of the record, but playing the song to people who may not know me terrifies me. No, yeah, I, I, I understand. It's like it, it's the it's the commentary. Again, it's not your song, but the idea that anybody would recognize that as your uh, promotion of the idea. Oh sure, and you know, living in the South, there's not a real tolerant. Uh, not everyone is terribly tolerant here and I'm afraid of that line getting cheers for the wrong reason I'm clearly not wait uh, where uh, we can edit it out but where where are you I'm in Orlando oh okay hey I'm in Savannah Georgia Uh, I'm not too far away we do a shadow cast up in Savannah Uh, pure antimatter yeah I heard you Um, talking about it in the last episode yeah anytime you're coming up um, give me a ring or or, uh, I can hook you up with Adriana because um, we've got a pretty good scene there for um, for singers, songwriters, artists. It's, of course, a college town with freaking uh, art school right there. Sure, that yeah, sounds but, great. So I know, I know about the South, but Orlando's not Georgia. Georgia, you would think, would be a little more um, uh, heavy. But, yeah, we have kind of an alternative lifestyle, an alternative scene in Savannah. If you went outside, there maybe be Uh, There's a hefty alternative lifestyle uh, scene going on in Orlando, and uh, they they also have one of the best shadow casts I've ever seen here with the rich weirdos. But outside of that and outside of the college circuit, you really don't want to sing Thank God I'm a Man. You're definitely going to get cheers for the wrong reason, and you're going to be playing Freebird as your encore every show from then on. (laughs) I think even though the movie had a limited budget to uh, to work with, visually they do some very interesting thing. Like the Farley Flavors logo looks like uh, the swastika. All American swastika. Yeah, with all the points. different Fs. And they get and all the graphic design stuff of what the TV show logos look like is very interesting. And they do the most with having a film filmed on, uh, you know, on what's obviously sets. Oh God, some of those. So there's nothing there's nothing that equals time warp. There's nothing dance wise, even uh, shock treatment. The uh, rotating around the bird cage. There's nothing, maybe Denton, but there's nothing that really matches the the energy. The same feel, the same magic in the choreography, the lyrics, the dancing, um, just in the actual the actual singing voices. Um, there's a few lines that like sound so tinny to my ear. One thing in this film I'm very annoyed about is uh, 
I believe it's Nell Campbell plays one of the nurses in the movie, and she has a really high pitched voice in this one. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Nurse she's Ansalong. like a tiny little banshee, yeah. no bad mouth. Yeah, Ansalong. Which I have is a, one of my friend's favorite characters in the entire thing. Yeah, I have a really unpopular opinion when it comes to Nurse Ansalong and her voice, and that's that I love it. I love unique voices. I love mm-hmm. people who definitely have, once you hear their voice, you never forget it. And uh, it may not be for everyone, but she might be my favorite part of the whole film and the whole franchise. Well, she gets to use her voice, I think, so, so much more and better in this film than Rocky Horror, because she, she's not wedged into doing that kind of snarly, Hey, what am I thinking now? That she does in Rocky <laughs> Horror. Yeah. Here, here, she just kind of has a high-pitched, almost Harley Quinn-style voice, but it's something that you can actually listen to. It doesn't come off as forced or sarcastic. You know, I, I've spent a lot of my time in the South, and I know lots of people, like lots of women, with sort of a high-pitched but bubbly southern voice, and 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 it it rings very true to me. And while we're talking Nurse Ansalong, can I just you know give a shout out to whoever designed her uh, dress? Oh, oh yes. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> I, I'm saluting that with a particular part of my anatomy. <laughs> well, probably was. If anything, it was probably Cosmo. I mean, uh, ever since he was a little boy, dressing um, <laughs> up was his greatest joy. <laughs> God. Um, but again, the, the the costuming in this is fairly interesting. Well, it's all minimal, but I love that it's so minimalist. The one thing that I don't like, the one like real costume, I have a problem with just how uh, the parents look in these scrubs. Um, and I have, I have a problem with the way the straight jackets look. What about the straight jackets? Uh, just the way they're striped and prisoner-like, especially on Brad. It just—it looks—they don't look like they're actual straight jackets. They look like they're made to be comfortable for the actors, which I don't agree with. But no, no, that's all part of the heightened reality of of shock treatment because Denton, for all we know, is just a giant weird reality TV set. You know, no one's wearing their clothes. Everyone's wearing what Denton provides as far as wardrobe is concerned, and that would include phony straitjackets. Sure. Uh, keep in mind the uh, that Denton Vale, spoiler alert, is later just shown to be a TV show. These are simply character actors, so all of their costumes would be just that, costumes and not functional. Brad may be just so drugged he simply can't get out of it. And he is pretty damn drugged. Yeah, but even that, the audience themselves... Whether or not they're characters, again, the idea of watching other people and being so entranced by a show that you you are... They sleep in the studio. Yeah, you're a prisoner of the studio, you're a prisoner of the show, of the network, as it were. And then, of course, in the end, they break out, which is another one of my favorite songs. No, they break in. No, they break out. No, no, the audience, remember, uh, everyone, uh, the No, they're all invited movie, to the party. Everybody they're... checks themselves into the mental institution. But that's not breaking in. They're all invited to the party of the Sanity Now, um, whereas Oscar Drill and the Bits basically save um, uh, the judge, um, uh, 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 Judge... Oliver Wright. Betty and Janet and Brad, um, yeah, they all basically get, uh, they get out. Um, with the help of the Oscar Joe and the Bits. 
I just I love saying that Oscar Drill and the Bitch. <laughs> it sounds like the name of one of those fake bands from an old Hanna Barbera cartoon. But they're actually really cool, except for the fashions. Uh, but I love Oscar Drill. I like his voice, and I love the song Breaking Out. Yeah, no, it's a really good song, and in the movie, it's done in the middle of you know them breaking uh, Brad out from his uh, cage that he's in, and so you don't get to really appreciate the song performed just as a whole song because there's all this other stuff going on uh, unless you listen to the uh, soundtrack album. Um, I, one thing this movie does really well, I feel, is that shock treatment makes you feel really bad for Brad. You know, the Brad and Janet go on this game show and their marriage doesn't seem to be going very well, but they seem committed to each other. Then at the first taste of fame, and as soon as they wheel Brad away... He's just sort of stuck in this cage with a ball gag in his mouth. Well, remember, because this game show has the authority to commit people to fictional mental institutions. Dettonvale. Again, Bert is such a... Oh, man, what a character. Bert Snick to the game show host and possible escape Nazi war criminal. They should have been drowned in the Danube. What was that? Nothing. (laughs) Yeah, Mark, Mark, Mark with the C. What's what's your take on Bert Snick, that that freakish, ghoulish character? Uh, if we're just going on what we see in the film, it's hard to say. Um, he pretty obviously ha- is, is never blind. Uh, I'd be really interested to know how he got the job with DTV. And while we're in the what's the backstory moment. When the audience first arrived, uh, where the fuck did they come from? You know, they clearly don't have homes to go back. They don't have homes to go back to. So, you know, that must have been a lot of pissed off landlords. But that's getting ahead of myself. In the original draft, I believe that Bert Schnick's character was going to be Dr. Scott. And any of the Nazi references would have been picking up from the Dr. Von Scott in the uh, original. That makes sense. Hmm. Yeah, I love his affected fake blindness and how perverted he gets. And, and when, when, like, when he's finally spotted with his glasses off, you know, he's, oh, it's a miracle! And, and everybody buys into it because they want to believe in how awesome Janet is. I, mean, I really it, like the way that actor played it over, uh, you know, overacted is, is just the only way to say it. But any game show host has to be a parody of who they are in everyday life yet another character I really wouldn't change even though I can't explain the background at all and it's nice with that same actor Barry Humphreys he had a pretty small part in Rocky Horror Picture Show as one of the uh, Transylvanians dancing around during time warp and stuff and that he gets a a much bigger part in the sequel uh, even though as a different character is kind of fun to see and that how they reuse a lot of the supporting cast well here's another thing though about about Barry Humphreys that, that, that is so great. He's Dame Edna. Right. Hmm. Oh, shit. You're kidding. No, I'm not. He's, he's the man behind Dame Edna. Oh, God, no wonder I love him so much. Um, he, I played him in the shadow cast of Shock Treatment. I had a blaringly orange jump uh, uh, a suit jacket, and I had a... Uh, I had a marking stick as my cane, which basically, oh, God. I had sunglasses and a dark nightclub, so I wasn't sure if I was actually hitting anybody until my cane <laughs> stopped. 
that that makes so much sense because I absolutely love him in the movie, and I just and I love his accent and the, his facial expressions. That oh wow, okay, you just blew my mind. And that makeup he's in, where it's like, it's like the the wider than white face with like the the crazy lipstick. It's like he sh- like when with the colors he wears. It's like he showed up to be in a silent movie. Because his neck, if you notice, his neck does not have uh, makeup on it. It's actually much darker than his actual uh, face. Oh, it's, oh man! Just again, another level of creep. Well, that's one real nice thing about it uh, finally coming out on DVD a few years ago is the colors on it really pop. It's a pretty good picture uh, compared to watching it on the videotape, which everything looks so faded on. Um, It's nice they put some time into restoring the picture for the DVD of Shock Treatment. Yeah. uh, I have a... Oh, go ahead. No, I I didn't mean to interrupt. I was trying to break the silence. Go right ahead. Well, no, there's... um, I have a strange... It's a strange copy. It's a fan copy. Which it's a bootleg. Has, okay. Basically, yeah. yeah. I have a bootleg. Whoever wants to track me down for residuals, <laughs> um, I will gladly... I'll, I'll give money to Richard O'Brien. Um, but uh, there's a whole bunch of things like talking about, like, what are the callbacks for shock treatment? Uh, one of the things in Shadowcast is when you're wa- watching Rocky Horror, there are things to shout out. And I, I couldn't even imagine shouting anything at the screen for this movie. I've never seen this movie in a theater, so it's very weird to think that I would have to do this, that I would have the gall to do the same thing that I do to Rocky Horror. Well, there is one, though, when, because uh, Sue Blaine, who did the costuming and wardrobe in Rocky Horror, does it again in Shock Dream. So when her credit comes, because in Rocky Horror, you know, who's to blame? Sue's to blame. So when Sue Blaine's name comes on in Shock Dream, you're supposed to go, who's to blame? Sue's still to blame. That's the only oh, one. makes sense. It's still her. Hmm. I'd actually had the privilege of seeing the Orlando Shadowcast, uh, the Rich Weirdos, do shock treatment, and I opened each one of their nights doing a, a set of half shock treatment covers and half originals. Cool. And I'll tell you what, that night, uh, or each of those nights when they did the show, they had some amazing callbacks, and I was, as soon as I was off stage, I went into 100% fanboy mode. And just could not even keep track of how quickly people were yelling. They weren't, uh, they weren't organized like your average Rocky cast. This was just that the entire sold-out theater came armed with the insults they'd packed mm-hmm. over the years. Mm-hmm. And some people certainly had me crawling on the floor, pounding with laughter. It was <laughs> pretty amazing. I, unfortunately, I can't recall any of those lines, so you'll have to take that at face value. I refuse to. Because <laughs> the thing is, I really actually want to go down, because I've gotten back into Rocky, um, I really want to go down to Orlando at some point um, before the summer and see uh, the Rich Weirdos. Um, one of their members came up a few months ago, and I, I apologize, I can't remember his name. Um, it wasn't Justin. He did an amazing job playing Eddie and Dr. Scott for us. Hmm. I'd have to, I'd have to check the website. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah, well, yeah, off air, if you want to describe him to me, I could probably... Uh... Uh, Asian. Oh. That's it. Uh, That's the beginning and end of the description. Wow. <laughs> You're really putting me on the spot, because now I don't know either. 
but no, um, but again, this can all be tossed if I can't. Yeah, I can't remember his name. Uh, but he he was really he was just an awesome guy. He was a good leader for the Virgin Games. Um, but I've always but because of that, I've always wanted to go down and see a different group. Um, there's a group in Atlanta that does it too. Um, I think that's lips. Had, is it lips uh, down on Dixie? Is that the yeah? Lips yeah. down on Dixie. So there's so many people, and I, I've always wanted to know if anybody else did shock treatment. So that's really cool that Orlando does. I'd love to see them do it, because I love the movie. And it's kind of hard to watch the movie when you're also playing a part in the shadow cast. I want to say that the Rich Weirdos did six uh, nights worth of shock treatment, and each one had a, a really good crowd. But unfortunately... Many members of the the troupe were not crazy about doing the film, didn't really enjoy staging mm. it, and I'd be very surprised if it happened again. It was, I think it was more like a treat for the long, diehard lifers of the Rocky group in Orlando, but a lot of the younger cast members... I think maybe didn't get just how revolutionary the themes were and how ahead of the to- how ahead of their time it really was. Right, because at the time Shock Treatment came out, you didn't really have reality shows, and uh, that's what Shock Treatment, in many ways, is about. And I mean, now you have whole reality show TV channels, basically, and uh, everyone wants to be the next TV star. Yeah, the influence on the like. Hold on, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get like interrupted in like. Uh, minute, so let me mute my phone. Uh, I'll be back on in a second. Okay. And uh, another thing about this film that I think is about the plot that makes it a bit different for people is with the Rocky Horror Picture Show, you had kind of a, I guess, villain, you could say, in Dr. Frankenfurter. And in this one, the Farley flavors, you see a picture of him, you see his back, but you don't really see him until the last 15 minutes of the movie. No, you see Farley Flavor. He sings that song about being an ace pretty early on. Well, maybe that's uh, but right, but he's not a constant presence throughout the film like Frankenfurter. Uh, and you get to see his O-Face. Yes. <laughs> see his O-Face. But, uh, that's one of the creepiest moments in the film for me, for sure. I mean, it's not okay. just that it's an O-Face. It's that it's Farley Flavor's very creepy... Um, I wish I would have thought of a way to say this starting all with F's, but I didn't do my homework. But it's, it's a very creepy face. It Farley my flavors flagellates furiously to fruition. Throw in fap, and I think you've got it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll replace flagellate with fap. <laughs> but, uh, Good job. It's, uh, it's really fun to see Cliff the Young play uh, the two parts of Brad and his twin brother, as it turns out. Farley flavors, because when I first saw the movie, I didn't even realize it was the same actor. Oh, I know it's so good with the different hair and the performances. I mean, you have to like double check to see that it's just one actor. I didn't even notice for the first few years after I saw the film. I had no clue. I was really shocked to figure it out. Oh, you know who I really love in this movie is uh, is Rick Mayall. Who uh, he did this the year before he did the Young Ones. He's he's one of my favorite British actors and alternative comedians. And I remember the first time I saw it, like I just sat up. Oh, Beth, you didn't tell me Rick Mayall was in this movie. Like who's that? And I then had and and you know then I started reminiscing about the Young Ones. But it's Rick Mayall's great. He did this. He did uh, Drop Dead Fred. He did uh, 
He's the prince in the Tenth Kingdom. He's an awesome, awesome actor. Plays a rest home Ricky in Shock Treatment. Right. Wait, 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 wait. No, no, that's not that's not him, is it? No, that is that's Rick Mail. And he also he doesn't look all British. He's not trying. To, well, well, what do you mean he doesn't look all British? <laughs> he <laughs> has he, nice he, teeth. He looks no, 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 because he looks skinny, but he doesn't have that weird nose that he. I guess is that an affection then? No, it's well. well remember, he he talks like he he has a, 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 a he has a minor speech impediment, but he has so few lines, and that's one of the things that's really recognizable about him. But he has so few lines in shock treatment when he's not singing that I think it's 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 something that isn't noticed. And he doesn't use his sort of signature over the top style that he used in the Young Ones and Filthy Rich and Cat Flap and some of the other projects he's worked on. Uh, okay, okay. And wow, listeners okay. might yeah, know. You're blowing my mind. Listeners so might. Listeners might know him better as Fred in Dop, Drop Dead Fred. Be fair, no one saw that movie, despite the fact that a remake is <laughs> in the my, works. It was my favorite movie as a kid. I'm sorry. What? Oh. <laughs> Bastard. <laughs> she goes into a dream and fights her mother, and then there's a car. Oh, uh, I hate you. <laughs> but no, he's a, he's an awesome guy. I'm, I'm so I'm just so thrilled that he's that he's a part of this movie. Again, why so many British people? Richard O'Brien. The movie is filmed where in they, England. Where did they actually... They did film it in England. Okay. Yeah, they, it was meant to be filmed in a town in Texas to be Denton. Denton was going to be an actual town. But um, the budget sort of got cut, and there was an actor's strike and all these things. So they had to film it on a soundstage in England and had to redo the whole script. So... But the movie does its best with uh, what it has. I think, you know, that certainly plays the TV station angle to its uh, full hilt. And um, I think I like the plot twist about it being sort of an asylum, I guess. Uh, I think I like it a bit better than a Rocky Horror Picture Show with the plot twist where a bunch of them are aliens, which I thought was kind of always annoying. Yeah, there's no cool plot. Well, I guess the plot twist in this is that it's a twin getting back at his brother. For what? Well, well, Farley Farley wants a family life, but specifically he wants his brother's family life. He wants to take in, in Farley's mind, Brad had the better, the better childhood and upbringing, uh, in spite of their, their tragedy. And so he, he wants to take that from Brad. He wants to be, he wants to be the guy who's loved. And if that means taking Janet away from Brad and making Brad this super desirable symbol, which then he himself can claim, uh, and then that's what he's going to do. See, it doesn't even matter in the end because he's still freaking rich and he cons everybody into joining his uh, sanity farm. It's almost like Farley Flavors is sort of the, in a way, the inspiration for Artie Ziff from The Simpsons. <laughs> you know, he, uh, he has just... everything, but he wants what Homer has. Now, obviously, they're not brothers, but that's about the only similarity that's not there. Or maybe I'm talking out of my ass, and you can feel free to edit that out. But I, no, no, keep I've, it. I've thought for years <laughs> that Farley equals Artie Ziff. Oh, I just thought of something. 
we've been talking about Tim Curry on the sequel cast, like, really almost since it began. Yes. And then we finally did a movie with Tim Curry. Could this begin an age of us talking about John Lovitz every episode, and then next year we'll do a movie that John Lovitz was in? Um, I'm trying to think of a movie. I guess, you know, a sequel that John Lovitz was in was, uh, oh, what the fuck is that called with Billy Crystal? Legend oh, of Curly C- Gold. City Slickers 2, Legend of Curly's Gold. There you go. So, we could that talk. Counts. Yeah. No, okay. again, John Lovitz, um, also, what was the reason that Tim Curry wasn't in this? Why wasn't he playing? They offered it to uh, Tim Curry, and Tim Curry turned it down. Uh, I thought he had other commitments. I've read a few things. I read an interview with Tim Curry where he said he just didn't think the script was as good and he didn't want to do it. And he was trying, even at that uh, point, which wasn't too far after Rocky Horror Picture Show, he was trying to move away from that movie uh, with his career. And, and um, he has, and yet he has a record of his own singing. Uh, uh, have you heard that uh, record? Um, I've heard a few singles from it. I think he came out with three albums altogether plus the Best Of album. Uh, yeah, Mark? He's a singer. Have you heard I, any I've of heard those? A, I've heard a few singles, but I'll, I'll tell you what. When I've watched some of the live performances from the tours he was doing at the time, it, it's almost impossible to remember the songs once you see the crowd's reaction when he finally sings one song from Rocky at the end. When mm. he sings I'm Going Home, and this is available on YouTube, it has been for years, there are women in the audience that are practically having seizures, um, they are. It, it's like Beatlemania. It's really a sight to behold. And uh, frankly, none of his other songs were nearly as memorable as any of the tunes that he touched on. Uh, kind of sad. I mean, about, I uh, do. The Rock was pirate? pretty. I'm sorry. What about uh, what's the song from Muppet uh, Muppet Treasure Island? When you're professional a pirate. pirate. Yes, when you're a professional pirate. That's a great song. I'm talking mainly about his solo career. That Songs from films, totally different situation. Uh, yeah. But people still reference uh, Paradise is a Garage and I Do the Rock in tons of Rocky callbacks. They have a life of their own within the Rocky fan base that are just not as memorable. It's sad but true. It is. And I wish in Tim, not that Tim Curry's dead or anything, uh, at least not yet. Certainly not. <laughs> but let's, I, not I, let's not jinx it. Okay. But uh, I wish in his career in film he would have done more musicals because he never really did many aside from Muppet Treasure Island or but uh, also he was doing, an Annie he, did, he also did um, he did uh, Spamalot well that wasn't Love a movie musical is what I'm talking about True. but you're right he did Spamalot recently on stage and uh, he sings a song in Annie I forgot about that so I don't know, I just think he has such a interesting sort of voice when he's uh, in a musical and decides to do a song that I wish he would have been in more movie musicals but maybe he has another one in him who knows uh, and I think Tim Curry in the movie might have just been too distracting had he actually you know accepted a part just because you would have been thinking well why isn't I would, I'd rather see Frankenfurter or the shadow of his performance as Frankenfurter in Rocky Horror Picture Show has overshadowed his entire career in some ways there's so many stories about the reasons that he didn't take the part offered, but I and they're so disparate from each other, but one of the most interesting ones was that he was at if you believe the rumors, at one point offered the role of Brad. Hmm. I've and heard he that. was going to be Farley and Brad, which I think 
you know, if people already have a problem with Brad and Janet not being Barry and Susan, oh my God, can you imagine oh. the revolt? <laughs> I, I would love to see that. Can you imagine dual duet with Tim Curry? You're a loser! An abomination <laughs> in the eyes of any sensitive man! See, that's the thing is, he also... I... I I've never heard him do a convincing American accent. The only time I've heard him do an American accent, and it was not very convincing, was uh, there was a series of computer games called uh, Gabriel Knight, and he's supposed to play this, like, sexy southern hunk from New Orleans. And the way it sounds is nothing like a real southern accent, let alone a New Orleans accent at all. It's like, uh, my name is Nat, Gabriel Nat, oh boy. I don't know, it's... That's a bad imitation of Tim Curry. It's terrible. <laughs> if it's not anything like that, that's awful. <laughs> no, it's it's an imperson- it's a good impersonation of Tim Curry speaking with New Orleans accent. Yes. There we go. But um, he's one of my favorite actors. I do like him a lot. But uh, I agree, Mark. Is that if he would have been Brad, Lord, that would have been <laughs> very strange. I could I could see him if uh, they just offered him Farley and uh-huh, it didn't yeah. have to be played by the same character or That's by true. the same actor. Farley, I think he could have pulled off mostly because it's a uh, a mostly silent role. Yep. And there would have been fewer lines and it wouldn't have mattered that he had a slightly different accent than Brad because they didn't grow up together. Right. Gee, um, I also would have loved to see Tim Curry as Cosmo. Huh. No, I think Richard O'Brien has a real lock on that character. It's just this, just the right level of creepy, and you have to be like a, a razor-thin man to be that kind of creepy. Well, he looks like a Nosferatu. Yeah. He does a bit, yeah. He looks like Otto von Schreck, and that's, 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 that is very frightening. I wish, I wish he had played the character, not William Defoe, even though William Defoe was very good in uh, Shadow of the Vampire. I would like to see. I would like to see Richard O'Brien as a vampire, even though kind of we did in Dark City, but it's a different kind of uh, dark, creepy, pale-skinned creature on coat. Uh, have any of you had uh, the chance to hear the single version of Shock Treatment that's different from the one in the film? Well, is that the one that they play uh, over the credits of the film? Yeah, and on the new DVD release, they actually faded out, but they used to let it play in full as uh, the audience exited the theater, if I remember correctly. Yes, and this one, yes. That's on uh, the bootleg Beth had. I have heard it. Uh, Richard O'Brien sings the lead on the entire song, and, you know, I think the, the worst thing that ever happened to the title track of Shock Treatment was being associated with the film. It was a strong, uh, very current-sounding new wave wannabe hit in 1981 and I think it could have gone far as just a Richard O'Brien single mm. I agree it's just a fantastic song there, there's nothing else like it it is a really disturbing almost roller skatey sort of bouncing tune that it, it almost invokes where the Pointer Sisters were going to go with Jump two years later but that's the music geek in me coming out <laughs> <laughs> no because that's interesting because we've talked about music before with like uh, Beverly Hills Cop and things of the nature is like, well, is the music reflecting the time or the time they're trying to um, appropriate? Like in uh, Rocky Horror, are they doing kind of 50s, 60s mu- uh, music, which they're not? Um, or are they reflecting a certain type of American nostalgia with songs like Denton, uh, anthems, uh, TV jingles, 
Um, but then also well, the punk scene with breaking out and trying to trying to capture that sound. Well, I, I think in a lot of ways, I mean, R- Richard O'Brien with shock treatment predicts so many changes that would happen to media and television and entertainment in general. I think the song Shock Treatment also anticipates certain changes that are coming to music. Yeah. The guy's a visionary. Let's just call it like it is. Oh, yeah. He's a visionary. Um, Now, if we were talking about his album Absolute O'Brien, you might have to twist my arm to get me to use the V word. But as far as Shock Treatment's concerned, the guy certainly knew what he was doing, and people are still struggling to understand all the metaphors and symbolism. In, in the film now, and it just seems like it's a silly midnight movie that never took off. Oh, I actually just, uh, as a side that we were wondering uh, what Tim Curry was doing, while, while Shock Treatment was being filmed, Tim Curry would have been filming the uh, movie version of the musical Annie. Okay, so well, maybe it'll fine. take him somewhere. He's an American <laughs> and that is... An American accent is atrocious in that as a rooster. It, it, a British character's American, a British actor's American accent always is because it's based around the way people talked in movies in the forties. Um, but you know, that's Annie's another movie that criminally underuses Tim Curry. I'm looking at the song list; it looks like he only has one song, and that's Easy Street. As Rooster Easy Street, Easy Street. Sorry. I think to wrap things up with shock treatment, why don't we all talk about a moment of uh, the movie that really sticks out for us? It doesn't have to be your favorite scene necessarily, but just something that's unforgettable for uh, shock treatment. Uh, One that I've been thinking of is, you know, I I saw this movie uh, when I was in high school uh, while my uh, parents were getting a divorce and all these things. And then after seeing the movie, I hadn't seen it for years and years until the DVD came out. And the the lyric from a dual duet where it's like, you lost your mom, you lost your dad, and I forget oh. the, the rest of it. But that lyric really stuck in my head for years, and I could never place where, where it was from until I saw Shock Treatment again on DVD. And it was wow. so satisfying to be like, that's where that, that's where that lyric that's been stuck in my head for the past decade was from. That's a really hard, that's that, wow, that it kind of encapsulates the uh, uh, process, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. Wow, that's kind of a little dark. <laughs> that's the sequel cast. Uh, Mark, is there a bit in the film that sticks out for you? Uh, I think that that one uh, that you mentioned actually would have been my first pick. And uh, the very end of Dual Duet where they're uh, zoomed in right on Farley's face and he's just breathing really heavily and looking like he's going to kill Brad. Mm. Those really sum up a lot of the film, but also the ingenuity going on. In Richard O'Brien's vision, it's best summed up for me in Lullaby, uh, syncing up all of those uh, characters, uh, just that much of so many effects. I'm not putting this right. It's very effective to have a light either on or off and seeing Mm. what each character is doing behind closed doors when the lights are out. Um, and seemingly having more of a life than the audience that's watching it. It's almost as if they're thumbing their nose at you, but in a really artistically successful way. Very I good. Mine that really jumps out at me, the, the, the Denton USA number, uh, I, I love that so much because it really, it's, it's, 
it's like you're watching a cheesy 1980s promotional video for one of those glaringly artificial planned communities. <laughs> and and it, like, it, I'd like, it, it is like they're trying to sell you a product, which I guess in many ways they are. I mean, within the context of the movie, they're trying to sell people on the idea of Denton. But, you know, it, it, at the same time, in a way, they're also trying to sell you on the movie because that's the first song that brings you into the world of the movie. Jason? Yeah, it's also fun. Me, uh, I think for me, this is going to sound really bad. Um, I, is it a Rocky Horror song? No, 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 no. <laughs> I absolutely love Little Black Dress. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. In, in high school, again, I keep coming back to the song. In high school, um, at some point, I actually liked the idea of becoming a fashion designer. But uh, when enough people call you queer because you like to draw dresses in uh, your notebooks, um, you kind of you stop that. Mm. Um, you stop. You stop. You stop thinking about fashion, um, and that kind of crushed my dreams. At the same time, um, I do have a real appreciation for women's um, fashion. I'm not able to name like designers and stuff, but I I, I do love the look of, uh, of uh, nouveau dresses of certain time period dresses, and of course the classical uh, backless, strapless little black dress. Um, it is just it's it's that song just kind of encapsulates. A little bit of my childhood. I was also into musicals as a kid, and again, the more musicals and plays you're in, and the more people who say, "Oh, he, he enjoyed musical and dresses," so obviously there's something wrong with him. Um, mm. Kind of, kind of, yeah, kind of, uh, yeah. Next, <laughs> uh, I think we can top this off with the. We can each go around and let's uh, look at the series as a whole. We can give Rocky Horror Picture Show and Shock Treatment, a rating out of five stars, and a very brief explanation as to why. I'm um, confused. Well, Jason, if you've been listening to the sequel cast, you would know that <laughs> lately at the end <laughs> when we finish a series of movies, we just rate a movie out of five stars, each one individually. So I'll oh, start... So not the whole series, just this one. No, the... Okay, I'll start, and then follow You'll the lead. the format. This is why listeners love the show. Um, <laughs> so, Exposition. Uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show, I think I would give uh, four and a half out of five stars. It's uh, it's a real classic. I love a lot of the music. I think it holds up pretty well, but I think it has some uh, pacing issues in the in the middle of the show. And um, Shock Treatment, I think I would give uh, a three and a half. I, I've appreciated it more and more each time I watch it. It's one I have to be in a special mood for. I just can't pop in shock treatment uh, any day of the week but um, the music and the plot and the characters really uh, grow on you uh, Mark? I would say uh, as far as the series goes uh, Rocky, I'm going to give it 4 out of 5 and it, it's not because I think there's anything wrong with it I just don't personally enjoy it as much as I used to but I love, love, love the culture and creativity that has sprung from it and that's why I would give it that high of a rating Shock Treatment, 5 out of 5. It's my third favorite film of all time behind uh, Head and The Jerk. And uh, beyond that, you know, uh, let's quote from the movie. D-E-N-T-O-N gets T-E-N. That's 10 out of 10. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Uh, Thrasher? Um, Rocky Horror, I'm going to have to give a a 3. It bumps up to 4, 4.5 when you see it live with a shadow cast. I mean, that, that, in my mind, 
And in my heart, that really is the way to see it. Uh, it's it's not a movie I enjoy terribly on its own. Shot treatment, because it, it is so ahead of its time, because it is, in, in every way, I feel a better movie, better performances, better, more confident and competent direction, more evenly paced. Uh, I'm going to have to give that a, I'm going to have to give that a four and a half. It is, it is so close to a, a perfect five for me. Uh, and I'm not sure if that's Rocky Horror, the, the baggage from Rocky Horror connected to shock treatment, or if that's just because in my mind, I think it could have used just a little bit of polish, but just the slightest little bit. But, uh, and as far as the overall series goes, I, I, I love the series. I'll go ahead and give the series four. I love looking at these two movies together. Uh, Jason. Uh, I think I'm going to go Rocky, just because I'm a big Tim Curry fan. I, I, I'm also a muscle fan. Um, I'm, I'm going to go four. There are some problems with it. Um, again, it was it was the first off, but there are some really great performances in it. Um, with shock treatment, I feel there are some really good performances, and then there are things that just take me out. Um, uh, just get rid of... Uh, I'm not a big fan of Betty. Um, I don't like her subplots and her reading of the rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. So I'm gonna give it a I'm gonna give it a three point five. Love the music. Don't really care about the exposition. <laughs> okay, well, uh, Mark with the C. Thank you very much for coming on the sequel cast to talk uh, shock treatment with us. Oh, Matt, gentlemen, thank you very much for having me. This was my pleasure, and thanks for giving me uh, even more time to geek out about one of my favorite films. It was great having you on, man. Oh, excellent. Thank you. And uh, yeah, your website. If you're ever, if you're ever up, I'm gonna, I'm gonna send you something on your website. But um, if you're ever up in Savannah, I'll, I'll give you my contact. Well, hey, Jason. Remember though, uh, in February we're gonna be down in Florida for MegaCon. Oh, hey, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Mark, your website is at uh, markwithac.com. Correct. Uh, correct. And uh, actually, every note of music I've ever recorded and released can be downloaded if you follow links there uh, for any price you choose. And I also sell physical products of uh, some of the records on vinyl and CD. But for now, don't concern yourself with that. Just take some songs. Maybe you'll like them. And uh, where can they listen to your uh, podcast, The Real Congregation, at? Uh, That's part of the Nerdy Show family of podcasts. That's at nerdyshow.com. But feel free to subscribe to them just at Nerdy Show on iTunes. Every show they do... Mine's okay, but the rest of theirs are fucking fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, uh, thanks very much for coming on the show, Mark, with a C. Thanks, my pleasure. Yep, good night. Good night. Good night. Okay, well, that was uh, pretty cool. Great guest. I'm, I'm thrilled we have finally have a musician on. Yeah, that's, that's really cool, especially to talk about a, um, uh, a movie with so much music in it. Oh, speaking <laughs> of talking about movies, should we talk about what we have planned next? We, we should, yeah, do a little teaser. I don't know if you know this or not, Jason. So, I mean, because of the holidays, we're going to have some uh, special episodes uh, coming up. One of them is going to be on prequels. Um, as far as for some of the other ones, I'm not exactly sure. But for the most part, unless it's Thanksgiving, or we'll work out our schedules uh, personally, you know, because I don't know what... Thanksgiving sequels? Well, oh, no, no, no. Well, that, we're, we're getting to that. Uh, for the month of December, uh, we're going to be doing Home Alone 1, 2, 3, and 4. That's pretty brilliant. Because hey, those happen during Christmas, right? They, right, yeah, no, and uh, Will was threatening me with either Home Alone 1 through 4 or the Santa Claus 1, 2, and 3. <laughs> and 
I hate Tim Allen so much, except in the Galaxy Quest. Um, that I don't that think. What about Toy Story? Well, it's not really about Tim Allen, is it? You. It's, well, it's, uh, part of it is for the friendship of Tim Allen and Tom Hanks in their toy avatars. You're a sad little man. <laughs> a sad, confused <laughs> little man. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll be doing the. And I, I do want to mention some. I mentioned uh, I was teasing this on Facebook, and uh, one of our listeners, uh, Luis, uh, said, "Oh, you can't possibly be doing Home Alone." And what he's referring to is uh, in one of the uh, episodes of Sequel Cast I did when uh, Sabrina was a co-host with me. We made a joke that the minute we do Home Alone, the Sequel Cast will be over. So I want to be clear: the Sequel oh. Cast is not going to be over. Hell we, no. we were doing a sarcastic joke at the time, because to her, Home Alone uh, is hell. Well, just just think of it. It's the maybe it's the like the John like the, there was the Tim Curry age, the John Lovitz age. It's the ending of one age and the beginning of another. It's like the death card in the tarot deck. It doesn't necessarily mean something bad. It just means a change. Yeah, and uh, you know I've only ever, I've only ever seen Home Alone one and two. I've never seen uh, three and four. You're a good man. And uh, three was released theatrically, and four was direct to video or, or direct for TV for a family channel, I believe. Oh, that's going to be fun to talk about French Stewart. I will see if I can get <laughs> off of those. Um... You need a bit of